Blog Talk Radio. The Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show. The Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show. Your hosts are here for the show tonight to interview our special guest. A show highlight, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, boxing, tennis, golf, story. Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, tune in for all the news and scores, reporting on the games, and so much more, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, the Allen and Yes, definitely. That's no problem. Glad you're back. Glad you're feeling a lot better. So glad to have another great show for our folks tonight. And it's it's all good. You're back, and the main thing is you're healthy. So we're gonna come back strong. Yep, uh, definitely happy to to be there. Very close. I'd say I'm about ninety percent at this point. I still got a slight cough, so um, hopefully I can keep that from uh, having any impact on us here this evening. Um, but I. First thing I want to say tonight is um, a great thank you to our great sponsor, which is, of course, Chef G's Florida Barbecue Sauce. So delicious and addicting that you may need a support group tonight. Uh, we actually have a special guest to assist in our support group, so to speak, and that is our uh, new friend here, Dara McDonald, and he is from uh, MLBTradeRumors.com. This is a fantastic website for all things baseball news related. Um, and just to kind of give you a quick overview, MLBTR uh, for short, or MLBTradeRumors.com, great website, as I mentioned a moment ago there, for pretty much any transaction that comes about. Um, these guys are great at uh, getting the information out there. In fact, I've been relying on them myself personally since probably about 2006, 2007. Um, they are so quick at uh, bringing up uh, a signing or a trade or a uh, promotion of a, a prospect coming up from the minor leagues, um, many, many other things, of course, as well. So uh, without further ado here this evening, uh, Dara joins us 
uh, here tonight, Dara McDonald. And actually joining us from north of the border, this is our first uh, international uh, guest on the program. So uh, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule here tonight. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me on. So I want to ask some questions here because I, I have used, as I mentioned there a moment ago, for a good 15 years at least, uh, MLBTradeRumors.com as a play, basically a source, um, especially, uh, you know, the, the, the heated times of the year for me and probably a lot of baseball fans are, you know, July 1st through July 31st, you know, because all the trades are going down, the rumors of this guy's going here, you know, who is interested in whatever player might be available. And then also when we get to about the early part of December, as we approach the GM meetings and then of course the winter meetings. And this past year was probably one of the most um, uh, eventful that we've seen in a long time, much different than it was the previous year because of course of the lockout. So how does this stuff get uh, from the transaction actually taking place to on our computers or our cell phones from MLBTR so quickly? Like what, what, what processes have to happen so that you guys can get that information out there as fast as you do? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Basically, uh, me and the other writers at the website, we have to uh, put all other things in our life aside and just stare at a computer uh, at basically all times. Um, <laughs> so we have somebody watching Twitter, reading websites, basically from about 8 a.m. until midnight or sometimes 1 a.m., Sometimes even later when it's around the, the winter meetings and, you know, leading up to the lockout and coming out of the lockout, we had people even working overnight, watching Twitter at like three o'clock in the morning, just in case anything happened. Um, so basically, I mean, essentially we're a, an aggregation service. So we're following basically every reporter, every baseball reporter in all the different markets throughout North America and even some international uh, as well. And as soon as they, um, you know, a reputable source tweets something or puts it on their website, and we put it on our website. Yeah, that's really that's, neat that's, to see. Go ahead, Alan. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's that is really fascinating and and neat to see, and and the fact that you get that information since you are all the way in Canada, does that make it more difficult for you to to kind of get information shared, or really doesn't matter in your case? Me being in Canada does not matter at all. Uh, the the MLBTR team, it's all internet-based. So, you know, Tim, who started the site, he's based in Chicago. My coworkers are in Minnesota and Buffalo and St. Louis. Uh, so it's a, the, the job is the same as long as you have a good internet connection. Yeah, kind of like our job here at the Allen and Aaron Sports Radio Show, you know, as long as you keep your ear to the ground. <laughs> And with, with that being said, when you are getting such a flood of information, does it get hard to come sometimes know which one is more important or you just share everything that comes through? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, um, filtering the, the constant stream of information is, I guess, kind of the, the skill of the job is knowing what's the most newsworthy thing and what sort of can wait. Um, and so there are definitely times where it's it's much more uh, frenetic and stressful, especially you know those times that you mentioned around around the trade deadline. You like we usually try to stack up coverage. Uh, you know when the trade deadline is happening, I think there 
normally you'd have like one person running the site, but on the a trade deadline day or any other day where we anticipate a lot of stuff to happen, there's four or five of us working at the same time. And, you know, we're all messaging each other being like, you know, I got the Juan Soto trade. And then somebody goes to write that up and somebody says, uh, you know, here's another trade coming through. I'll grab that one. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's, uh, it's sort of peaks and valleys in that part of the job because some days it's, it's much easier to determine when uh, the most newsworthy, <clears throat> excuse me, which is the most newsworthy item. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely some days where you're just uh, going nonstop for hours and hours and uh, just writing like crazy and um, just trying to keep up with everything that's going on. Seems like we're at that time of the year, and I was kind of mentioning this to Alan uh, pre-show, kind of our show notes. Um, that this time right now that we're in right now is kind of the driest time of the year. All the Winter meetings transactions happened six or seven weeks ago, and now we're just kind of waiting for pitchers and catchers to report. And I know from just having monitored the site, uh, you know, for, like I said, 15 or 16 years now, we get to pitchers and catchers reporting, and then, you know, full camp uh, comes in here in a little over a month or right about a month from now. That's when a lot of stuff will start happening again. So are we kind of in a dry time for you right now with not a whole lot going on? I would say relatively speaking, it's a little bit drier for sure compared to, uh, you know, like you said, this off season was quite busy in December with free agent signings and trades and whatnot. And so now there's still some guys out there, but, you know, the top of the market at this point is Jurix and Profar and Michael Waka and guys like that. So the most of the big stars are off the board, but, uh, you know, there's still uh, those guys are still looking for jobs and there's a uh, a bunch of teams still looking for that last piece to mm-hmm. finish off the roster. And, uh, you know, like you said, uh, pitchers and catchers report in, I think it's like two weeks now. So uh, the it might be a little bit slower now than December, but uh, it's not too long until it's picking back up again. Yeah, and those yeah, names yeah. you mentioned there before are kind of second-tier free agents, if you will. So, so I've got to ask you this. I've got to make this statement, then I'll ask you a question along with it. So... Um, in my experience, again, and I've been using the site since around 2007, you guys are getting stuff out there faster than some of the big, you know, sports networks, ESPN and some of the others. So a lot of times I'll see something on your site that hasn't even made it over to ESPN yet, for instance. Um, i got to ask you, one of the craziest things that I think anybody's seen in a long time is the movement or eventually the lack thereof of Carlos Correa signing with the Giants. And then that falls through, and then he goes to the the Mets, and then that falls through, and he ends up going full circle right back to Minnesota. How did that impact um, your job? And of course, how did that impact the people around you that you work with, as far as how you got that information out, and how it eventually came to pass that he stayed in Minnesota like he was maybe originally intended to? Yeah, that's a great question, and uh, you know, it was such an unprecedented situation that we had many conversations, me and the other people who uh, who work there, about exactly how to handle it because we had never really seen anything like this before. Even just, um, you know, the day he had signed, he had agreed to terms with the Giants, and then they had told everyone that we were going to have a big press conference on whatever day it was, um, and he's going to be introduced and all that kind of stuff. And then suddenly it came out, uh, they sent a message to the press being like, the press conference has been postponed. 
And so we're like, okay, does that, like, is Korea stuck in traffic? Like, what does this mean, you know? Um, and so uh, we had, uh, so we just started emailing each other, just so you guys know, uh, this is happening. What do you think we should do? Should we put this up on the site? And, you know, it was changing from day to day, hour to hour, week to week. And so we were just trying to keep on top of it, have a lot of conversations and be like, what is confirmed? What's not confirmed? Who, like, where is this information coming from? Um, and just trying to figure out the best way to handle it. Um, but yeah, so some, sometimes with uh, the coverage for the site, it's, it's very straightforward. You know exactly what to do because you've done it dozens of times. But in that situation, none of us had been through it before. And so a lot of emails, a lot of messages sent back and forth to each other being like, what's the right way to handle this? Um, and then even when he agreed to his new deal with the Mets after the Giants deal fell through, that news came out, I think it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. No, no, uh, nobody was working at that time for our, our site because we weren't expecting any news to come out at 3 o'clock in the morning that day. But thankfully, <laughs> one of the writers happened to be awake at that time. I don't know why. Uh, Mark Mark Polishuk, who writes for our site, he happened to be awake and saw it on Twitter just because he was scrolling before going to bed. And he decided, well, I might as well get this up on the website. So we had that up at 3 a.m., and so everybody woke up, looked at their phones, and got the news. Um, so, yeah, the, the Carlos Correa situation was totally unprecedented for us, as far as I know, at least of a player of that magnitude. It's happened before where players have failed physicals and uh, had to sign new deals. But it's never – it's always been like a $10 million deal. It's never been a $350 million deal like what he had with the Giants. So, yeah, that was a pretty – that's probably the craziest thing that happened this offseason uh, for us, 100%. Yeah, that's that's amazing how you guys were on top of it. You know, at least somebody was awake at that time and <laughs> got the the information. But um, one thing that Aaron told me about MLBTradeRumors.com is that you guys are, for the most part, extremely, extremely accurate on your information. So definitely that's that takes a lot of diligence. Talk about how thorough you guys are with staying accurate with your information. Yeah, that's um, that's something that we talk about a lot because so much uh, information comes from Twitter and sometimes it comes from uh, a reliable source that you've used before, just a report like, say, Jeff Passan of ESPN or um, Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic, those types of guys who are regularly breaking news. And so when they tweet something, we know that they're reliable and we can just run with it. But then sometimes you get news from some Twitter account that, has like you know 17 followers and a bunch of people are messaging us and being like why aren't you putting this on the site and that kind of thing and um, you know so we have to have conversations about where the information is coming from and uh, whether it's worth putting it up on the site and then sometimes if it is going to go on the site do we have to change how we frame it um, and so that's something that's very important to us because I think that is something that seems to separate MLBTR from some other websites out there is that there is people do generally trust us and it's been very very rare that we've taken a shot on something that's um, that's proven to be incorrect I think I mean I've only been at the site for uh, for a couple of years now and it uh, like uh, like was mentioned earlier it goes it goes way back 
Um, but I think that's something that's very important to us. And w when we're not sure about something, we have conversations as, as a staff about how we want to handle it and whether it's worth running with and how do we frame it. Yeah, that, that, that's definitely remarkable because a lot of people, as you mentioned, other sites, they don't do that due diligence. It's more about just being first to get something up. That The fact that you actually want to make sure it's accurate, a lot of people kind of get criticized in the media because of, not, of just kind of getting information out rather than verifying it. That's really remarkable that you go ahead and take that step to make sure it's correct. Yeah, thank you. I mean, uh, like I said, I think that's something that that people have come to to rely on MLBTR because it's it it has been taking those steps and is um, you know has earned people's trust over the years, and so you know that's something that we have to preserve and maintain. Yeah, yeah. Then, I know you, not, go ahead, Aaron. Go ahead. I was going to say one of the nice things I think about the site, too, accuracy certainly is very important. Uh, there are a lot of sites out there that basically are just retweeting or re, you know, regenerating, if you will, some rumor they heard somewhere about something. And that's good to have. It's good to kind of run and speculate with those things sometimes, especially when it's a little bit slower like it is now. But that accuracy means so much. And I think the other thing that's really nice, too, is, and I think it depends on what team you're a fan of or what market you're a fan of or division, however you want to look at it. It's not always just the biggest transactions that take place. I notice on there a lot of times a minor league signing or, you know, a player has been designated for assignment. So it's even that little bit of information that sometimes trickles through, which right now we're longing for baseball information. I don't know about you, but I, I, I want to be able to read more about stuff happening, which I know we'll see that here in the next couple of weeks. Um, my question to you is this. Uh, especially when we backtrack here about uh, six or eight weeks ago when the winter meetings were right upon us, all these rumors about, you know, where is uh, uh, Jacob DeGrom going to sign, for instance. There was all kinds of talks about him going to Atlanta, staying in New York possibly, maybe going across town to play for the Yankees. And out of nowhere, he signs with the Texas Rangers. So when you see a transaction like that come across, is there ever a time where you and your uh, colleagues are – you know, fighting for it, or is it kind of bragging rights that you happen to see it first, or how does that part of it work? <laughs> um, usually, usually it's just a logistical question of who's available and uh, who is the least busy. Um, but there are sometimes uh, where we know that a certain player is a favorite of one of the writers, um, and so in those instances, we usually try to defer. Um, and uh, let the person write about somebody that they've written about before and expressed a fondness for. Or sometimes they've written about them so much that uh, they don't want to write about them again. I don't know uh, how close you guys have been following the like the more minute transactions, but there's a first baseman who played for the for the Marlins last year named Lewin Diaz, who has been designated excuse me, designated for assignment and then either traded or claimed off waivers like five or six times this winter. So it's just like every week one of us has to write a post about Lewin Diaz. Um, and so, you know, I think there was one guy on the staff who did got him like four or, four, four or five times in a row. Uh, and so in those instances, he's like, can somebody else please write about Lewin Diaz this time? 
Wow. I, I, yeah. I can't follow where all he's been. I think he was with the Marlins. I think he was, I think he was in Atlanta briefly. And then I think he went to Baltimore, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on the order of those, but I think those were the three, three teams. And I think he was with Atlanta twice and somehow got released again. So um, that's kind of the way things, uh, to those of you who are maybe not as uh, big of baseball followers that are listening to the show tonight, especially when you get around the winter meetings and you have the, uh, the Rule 5 draft and teams are trying to figure out who's going to stay on their 40-man roster a lot of times it's that last guy that got added on that gets dropped off. That's probably where some of his um, being released a couple times and moving around several times came from. But that is pretty interesting. Uh, do you all ever play a game of, you know, um, uh, you know, transaction bingo? You know, am I going to get this guy in a trade or is this guy going to sign as a free agent? Do you ever kind of play, uh, you know, inner office games along those lines that are uh, based on that kind of a transaction or? We definitely have conversations where, because uh, we also write uh, original content for the site that's not just based on a transaction. Um, mm-hmm. And what happens occasionally is you get burned, like you're just like 95% of the way f- finished writing your article, and then the guy signs somewhere. You know, you could be writing an article like, uh, okay. you know, here's why the Yankees should sign Jerks and Profar or whatever, and you're like almost done, and then he signs with the Padres or something like that. And, you know, like, oh, great, I just wasted an hour writing that whole piece, and now it's useless. <laughs> um, and so we sometimes message each other being like, okay, that piece is done. Like, do you mind proofreading it and getting it out before he signs somewhere? And so it's wasted. Yeah. I actually have one piece. I'll tell you guys, it's, it's never going to see the light of day because um, – in the brief window where Carlos Correa was a giant, I yep. I wrote an article about uh, Brandon Crawford, giant shortstop, who has one year left on his contract. And uh, I wrote an article asking people if they thought that Brandon Crawford would ever accept a trade to leave San Francisco now that he had been replaced at shortstop by Correa. And then Correa wasn't a giant anymore. And so the article is just sitting there in our drafts pile, um, and there's no point to it anymore. So it's just going to sit there, and uh, it'll it'll never it'll never see the light. Brandon Crawford has to um, thank for that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, so we definitely like message each other all the time about uh, you know sort of circling back to your question like we don't have like bingo or whatever but we do talk to each other about like let's get this out before it becomes irrelevant kind of stuff so that it doesn't just sit there like my brandon crawford article yeah (laughs) and and that's that's a remarkable one of the things that i think is really cool is that you actually can write something and get it out quickly do you kind of get nervous that you might not use the right verbiage or I know you mentioned about a proofreader. Do you ever get nervous that you might miss something or it might not be grammatically correct? Is there a skill that you have to do that? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm nervous about that every single time. Um, yeah. And I don't know if the, it's a skill as much as it's just like a, a practice makes perfect kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. yep. I'm sure that if you charted the stuff I wrote when I first got hired versus the stuff uh, that's been more recent, I'm sure there's way more grammar mistakes and just typos and things like that in the earlier stuff. Um, and it's just, you know, the more you do it, the the less you'll make that kind of mistake. So definitely something that we worry about. And that's why, you know, with some of the stuff, we try to proofread it if we can, if it's not as time sensitive. But obviously, sometimes we're trying to 
write about breaking news, and so we don't have that kind of luxury. Um, but, uh, yeah, the accuracy in terms of spelling and grammar and all that kind of stuff, it's, uh, it's always a concern, always a worry. It's like sometimes you publish something and you think it's good and then you maybe go back and or see somebody point out that there was a mistake in it. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible feeling and you want to avoid it as much as you can. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I think it's mostly just a practice makes perfect kind of situation. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I know even when I post stuff up on social media, I try to reread it as many times as I can, and then you just got to hit that enter button and let it go. But that's that's <laughs> good. And yeah, and then and then as far as MLBTradeRumors.com, I, I got to figure you got to get sometimes the bad side, like some haters that or people who are unhappy about the news they're hearing and things of that nature. Do you get sometimes some people who are unhappy about the news it might be good or bad, but they just want to chime in and hope that it's not true and kind of hate on you because you're the messenger. Does that happen a lot? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, people don't uh, like uh, stop me in the street or anything like that, but uh, the comment section, people will go there and, uh, and uh, express their frustration for sure. Um, they're usually more when it comes to sports. I think people usually direct their uh, their hatred towards the the general manager or the manager or whatever. So <laughs> if there's some bad news on the website, they're probably mad at Kyan Bloom or somebody like that. It's uh, they're not really going to be mad at the person who put it on the internet. Okay, that's interesting. So that's good. At least you're safe from uh, from the everybody being mad at you. Well, as they <laughs> say, right. don't shoot the messenger. So. So I, this is a question that I think uh, brings some intrigue to me because obviously if you're you're writing about all this stuff as it happens and you probably see things uh, based on you know following all these different Twitter accounts from uh, Jeff Passan to um, you know Peter Gammons or whomever else you may follow when you start to hear rumblings about either a trade that's about to happen or so, suddenly um, a team is interested in a player who's a free agent do you all ever find yourself speculating on where somebody might go and, and kind of following that through, or is that just, you don't really care about that kind of stuff? Oh no, absolutely. We talk about that stuff all the time. Um, we're always trying to figure out what's going to happen next. And uh, you know, we even have uh, a free agent prediction contest uh, at the site that is everyone is, was welcome to join, but we also did it all of us, all the staff members. Um, I don't think I'm doing too well this year. Yeah, I, I, um, I did pretty bad myself. In fact, I, I, uh, I don't think I got a single one of them right. So, <laughs> I think out of our top 50 free agents, I think I only got like four correct so far. I think I did better last year, though. But anyway, yeah, no, we're always trying to figure out what's going to happen. That's a that's a big part of the job is what what has happened, what is going to happen next. You know, those those are things we're always trying to suss out for sure. Um, uh, and we even, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, I mentioned the contest, but we also, you know, we write speculative pieces of like, this is what we think is going to happen next, or this is what we think this team might do. Um, you know, even if it's not a, a substantiated rumor in a sense, we might say like, we might write a piece saying, you know, here's a trade that would make sense if it did happen, that kind of stuff. Um, and so the speculative part of it is definitely, um, you know, part of our day-to-day for sure. I would bet that's probably the most fun is just having that speculation. And 
I want to get your take on this because as we went into the off season, you know, fresh out of the World Series back at the beginning of uh, November, obviously this is probably one of the biggest free agent markets we've ever seen um, with all the great shortstops, some of the big sluggers that were out there, some, you know, future Hall of Fame pitchers that were on the market. I think the most easy one to predict that was a, a pretty straightforward he's going to stay where he was at was Aaron judge staying with the Yankees. I think most people were pretty confident that was going to happen. There was a few moments of, I'm sure for the Yankee fans out there, um, you know, anxiety where he might have gone out to the giants. They obviously uh, dipped their toes into the big free agent money water. And unfortunately for them, they came up short a couple of times, but the one that shocked me uh, beyond belief was, was, as I mentioned before, Jacob, the Grom going to the, uh, from the Mets to the Rangers, a team who hasn't been near the playoffs in, you know, several years now. Uh, what were your two biggest, you know, I was surprised this guy went here and I wasn't surprised this guy stayed here kind of thing. Who, who were you surprised with over the, uh, over the off season? Well, in terms of not a surprise, I agree with you. I think all of, if I remember correctly, all of us on the staff predicted Aaron judge would return to the Yankees. That just seemed like the most obvious thing to happen. Um, unexpected, I, you know, to be honest, I'm a little surprised that Atlanta let Dansby Swanson get away because they have done so much of, uh, locking up their incumbent players. You know, they have had extensions all over the lineup. It's like, I, I can't even, re- um, remember the number. It's like eight or nine guys yeah, all over yeah. the roster that they've extended to huge, you know, multi, multi-year deals, millions of dollars. Um, but uh, for some reason, Dansby wasn't one of them, and they just let him get away. And then the Cubs got him. You know, the Cubs are, they're not a, a small market team or anything, but they've been kind of sort of rebuilding somewhat in the past few years. And so that that was not an outcome that I think I would have predicted and I did not predict at the beginning of the off season. Yeah, I, I would yeah. agree with you there. Uh, being actually an Atlanta fan myself, I was uh, a little surprised by it. However, uh, Vaughn Grissom uh, came up, uh, I believe, back in, I want to say it was June or July. Uh, had a, a few really good weeks uh, early on in his career playing second base. And I kind of thought to myself, well, if there's somebody in the organization that's going to take that shortstop mantle at some point, this could be that guy. So I think the Braves kind of looked at it as if we can get him to sign this smaller uh, yearly uh, average annual value contract, we'll throw that out there to him. And I know that they did make him an offer at one point. And of course um, I think he got a little inflated being in the market with the likes of guys like Trey Turner and Xander Bogarts. And uh, there was one other short uh, Correa, of course, uh, as well. I think he kind of got thrown into the mix with those guys and he's a good player but he's not anywhere near those other names. So I think the Cubs probably overpaid uh, for him. Um, I'm not sure if your thoughts were the same on that, but that one did kind of surprise me a little bit the way it went down. Yeah, he's an interesting case because he's obviously he's been a very solid defender for a long time, and the bat has always been sort of a little bit less exciting, but it came around uh, a little bit more in the last year or two. And so, you know, it's a gamble for the Cubs to – you know, put, I think it was like a seven-year deal that they gave him uh, based on just a year or two of really solid work at the plate. So, you know, at least they're going to, 
get pretty reliable defense, but uh, you know, it's the the track record at the plate is not quite as strong. Yes, that's that's definitely a great take, and I wanted to get your thoughts on speaking of Aaron Judge. You know, I know that was a big story that happened where the ball allegedly was offered a three million dollar purse for it initially person turned it down and the later went to auction got a million and a half what are your thoughts on how that all transpired about the Aaron Judge home run ball I mean I'm not an expert on that but it sounds like uh you know they need to they need a new financial advisor I guess (laughs) (laughs) there you go (laughs) but yeah that's that's awesome and now that you've been working for MLB trade rumors for about you know, three years now, how do you, do you still enjoy it? Is it still fun for you or is it just another day at the office? Uh, yeah, no, I love it. I mean, like any job, you know, there are days where you don't want to do it because it's your job and, uh, you know, you'd rather uh, just not work. But uh, in ter- as far as jobs go, I love it. I- I'm having a great time. Um, you know, if I wasn't writing for the site, I would be reading it anyway. And I was reading mm-hmm. it for years. And so um, it's, I think it's a great, situation for me and uh, I think it's great fun I, I think uh, it you know it's uh, every day is different than the one before it which is great like it's not it's not really repetitive in any way because you know one day you're doing like all these trades and then the next day it's these minor league deals it's 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 exciting each day I never know what I'm going to get every day I show up to show up to work that's awesome and and how could we at the Allen and Aaron Sports a greater show help support MLBTradeRumors.com and let people know that this is definitely a valuable source resource for anybody that's watching or interested in Major League Baseball. Oh, well, I mean, just the fact that you've had me on and you've said so many nice things about the website, that's that's (laughs) incredibly helpful. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, I mean, if people want to go and check it out, MLBTradeRumors.com, you know, we'll take your clicks happily and, uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, there's always something new coming out. So come by and check it out. Yeah. Make sure you guys do that. MLB trade like, and subscribe to their channel there on the Facebook page. Also Twitter. Do you also have anything on YouTube? Uh, I don't know. Uh, we're, uh, we, we, I think they, they tried the YouTube thing a couple of years ago, and I don't think it worked out. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for uh, just a great interview here tonight. It's always good to get insight on how these things go down because, you know, like most of us who go to websites, we never really understand how they work and how things come about and all the work and behind-the-scenes stuff, you know, that goes into what you all do to produce such a great website. And, again, I'm going to say this to our listeners who maybe joined us a little bit late or – uh, maybe didn't quite get to this point of the show. Um, great resource, in my opinion, is the absolute number one resource for baseball news, both the big stuff and even the, the small stuff that happens um, transaction-wise or just newsworthy in the baseball world. Uh, you guys report on uh, transactions, like I mentioned before. I know there was uh, someone who passed away uh, today or yesterday. I know that was on there, too. So pretty much anything baseball-related, it is the number one place to go. Check them out at uh, MLBTradeRumors.com. They're also on Facebook and uh, Twitter as well. And 
want to thank our guests here tonight. Uh, again, uh, Dara McDonald for taking time out of his busy schedule to join us here. Uh, great stuff. We really do appreciate it. And uh, we'll be in touch and hopefully we can have a conversation again. And maybe we'll uh, do this again as we get closer to the trade uh, deadline here this summer and have a lot of uh, baseball content to talk about specifically uh, rumors that are going on. So we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, like I said, thanks. Thank you for the kind words. Oh, you're very welcome. Appreciate you. It was a pleasure. Yep. You have a great night. Same here. Thank you. Take care for now. You're welcome. Take care. All right. So, Everyone, again, uh, here tonight, that was uh, Dara McDonald from MLBTR or MLBTradeRumors.com. We certainly uh, really appreciate having his uh, insight to how their website works. Great interview, uh, great insight. I want to pass along a couple things baseball-worthy here tonight because there were some things that did happen over the last couple of days, and then we'll take a call from, uh, I believe, Lou will be coming on here in a moment. We'll talk to him. Um, First of all, uh, I want to get your take on this, Alan, uh, here tonight. Scott Rowland, uh, third baseman, began his career at the Phillies, uh, played, of course, uh, in uh, St. Louis, as well as uh, briefly in Toronto and then in Cincinnati. He's going to the Hall of Fame. He was the lone uh, uh, elected player this year. What are your thoughts on him uh, going to the Hall of Fame? You know, Scott Rowland is, is one of those players that I, I felt is a very good defense. You know, he had some great years here and there. This one was a head scratcher. I'm not hating on Scott Rowland. I, I definitely think he's a very good player, but I, I just was surprised because I I felt as if it was a step below what most people take in the Hall of Fame. And what I mean by that, Ian, if you look at Fred McGriff numbers versus Scott Rowland, Scott Rowland hasn't played much, and it's, I know he's got great defense, but there are other players that I feel who haven't made it to the major league, like Omar Vizquel, who are more Hall of Fame worthy that have even better defense and are a little bit more vital. So this one was a shock to me that Scott Rowland got not only inducted, but 75% of the vote, which is tougher. I feel that's very tough to get in that route. Not to not take anything away from the crime dog. I'm glad he got in, but I just feel as if when you're dealing with a large pool of people to get 75% or more, I feel as if it's a little bit more difficult sometimes in that setting for him to get 75% of the vote or more, I was a bit surprised, and I do feel as if this was kind of a not a good look on the Hall of Fame. That is my opinion and view. What are your thoughts on it? I'm curious to hear that. Well, I, you know, I think I think his defense, if his defense was lackluster, if he was not a Gold Glove caliber third baseman, and let's be honest here, the time that he played in his his uh, peak years from his rookie season in '97. And so probably 2008, 2009, 2010, so that 12-year stretch, defensively, he was the best third baseman that there was in the game. There was not a better defensive third baseman out there. So I think take his defense away, he's an average player. Um, I think that his overall, and I don't know what his war, career war is, but that's the thing that got him in. It's these new school analytics that I think helped his cause. Now, I, I like this in a sense because there's some other players that I think are going to benefit from Scott Rowland getting into the Hall of Fame because, and I watched this earlier tonight on MLB Network, Scott Rowland's first year on the ballot, he only got about 10% of the vote. Most people who only get 10% of the vote on the first time, 
they usually go backwards. They usually fall off after that second or third year. So he is proof that you never want to give up, first and foremost. But I think guys like Andrew Jones – Andrew Jones is a Hall of Famer in my book. Um, he had much, much better career numbers, both defensively and offensively. So I think this gives a guy like him hope, and I think he had 58% or something like that of the vote this year. So I think Andrew Jones is eventually going to get there. Um, best defensive outfielder of our lifetimes, I think, for sure, and maybe ever in the history of the game. Uh, definitely a lot of fun to watch. I always say this about Andrew Jones. If he couldn't catch it, nobody could. So um, I think this gives him some hope there. I got to think this gives some guys like uh, Dale Murphy, you know, who had much, much better career numbers, um, gives him some hope down the line. Now, he's not on the regular ballot anymore, so maybe the – you know, the, the way that Fred McGriff got in way down the future, you know, maybe that's a possibility. Um, but again, you got to stack up Roland's numbers during his career versus his contemporaries. His numbers are very, very high up there. I mean, he's one of the best of, uh, offensive and defensive. So I think there's merit there, but I'm going to go with you on this. He was the last guy I thought would have gotten in this time around. Um, I, I would have been more uh, or rather less surprised if there had been no players voted in this time versus Scott Rowland. And that's not taking a dig at Scott Rowland. He's a great player. And, and I think he's, he's a, a noteworthy player. I just didn't feel like he was the guy who should have gone in this time. But congratulations to him nonetheless. He's voted in. So that's definitely a good thing for him. Um, a couple other things to pass along here tonight. Baseball worthy. Atlanta Braves manager uh, Brian Snicker today signed a three-year uh, contract extension. Actually, it's a two-year extension, I should say. Um, through the end of 2025. Uh, Dana Brown, who had been um, an executive in the Braves organization for the last four years, he is the new general manager of the Houston Astros. Very well deserved. He has put together a great body of work with some of the drafts that the Braves have had the last four years, five years. So great job um, that he's done. And now it culminates in him getting the big job there in Houston. That's a great team that they have there. And uh, they should be very competitive for years and years to come. And this one kind of uh, threw me by surprise, uh, Alan, as well. Two years ago next week, or it might have been the week after, that we brought on uh, Chip Carey uh, as, uh, as our special guest. And he has decided to move on to St. Louis, the Cardinals, as their new lead play-by-play announcer, um, spending the last 18 years with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Carey is actually from St. Louis. He grew up a big Cardinals fan. And, of course, his grandfather, the late Harry Carey, uh, began his broadcast career with the Cardinals back in the 40s. So he's going home to where um, he was born and raised and was a big Cardinal fan. So it's a little bit sad for me uh, to not hear him on uh, Braves games anymore, but uh, the Cardinals are getting a great guy, um, a lot of fun to talk to, and uh, wish him the best of luck going uh, back home to St. Louis. So that's our baseball news for the evening. Yeah, definitely. You know, big props to – Chip Carey, we're going to miss him. He was a former guest. It's, it's nice to hear that he's still in the business. So we're going to try our best to try to work and hopefully get his reaction to being in St. Louis. I know that probably was a big move from him, you know, to be with an organization so long. But nonetheless, he's still doing it. He's, he's a great at what he does. He's fantastic. And we wish him all the best. And, if, you know, Chip Carey, you're out there. You still got friends here in Lakeland. And we still – Wish you the best. So we'll we'll follow you where you go, and we hope that we cross paths again. And speaking of crossing paths again, I know he's been holding for a long, long time. Let's bring our great friend Lou on now. Thanks, Owen. Hey, how you doing, Lou? 
Well, all I can say for one word about that with Chip, in the words of his father, he gone. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I used to watch Skip of the Braves telecast myself, so. Yeah. So anyway, so... speaking of the Hall of Fame, what kind of Hall of Fame is only one player getting in? That's not much. There's anything you can say that. I mean, just one player? Really? You know, I I wasn't as surprised about the one player because it's been like that the last couple of years. It's been kind of thin, real thin, one or two. Very thin, but, yeah. But I'm, I just want to get your take, Lou, on Scott Rowland getting in. I don't have any really complaints about it, but I think, you know, there should have been more that should have got in, not just Rowland. So the, mean, the number you know, of people. I mean, you mentioned some of the other players that did not did not get in. Uh, Andrew Jones, or not, you know, great player for the Braves. And we're not in yep. some of a few others. So I think they were really skimming down on, you know, on the list of people that are getting in this year. And I think they were deserving to get in. But the committee is just being the usual selves, being, you know, I think just being playing favorites. Yeah, so, and I, I agree. I, I and that's about, the part that me. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lou. I, that's the part that infuriates me. And it's not, I know it sounds like I'm I'm like hating on Scott Rowan, but I'm really not. It's just the fact that I feel if you even look at the numbers that there are guys that are just more willing to yeah, get in. Better. Yeah, they're just more willing to get in. It's it, it playing the favorites or playing it because someone you might like them more. I don't think that's cool. I, I just think that, and I know it's not just the numbers, but there are guys that are more deserving to get in than Scott Rowland. Yeah. I even even Scott Rowland said he was surprised he got in. Not not you know. And I got nothing against Scott Rowland. He's actually been actually really cool grinder. You know, he's had some flashes of like some greatness, but I don't don't. I, I'm a little baffled on that. Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 mean, I was gonna you, say you I need think that the, to get in, but you know. Yeah, I was gonna say I got think one that, person in. Yeah, well. well McGriff, if you count the um, the uh, historical vote that happened here back in December, but right, uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm not taking anything away from Roland's career, and I don't have the numbers in front of me to to be able to make the comparisons. But I, I just felt like mm-hmm. the list that was there this year, there were other players that were more more deserving. If Andrew Jones had been voted in this year, first of all, I wouldn't have had a problem with that. But I think his numbers actually line it up. You look at 400 plus home yeah. runs. Uh, 10 plus gold gloves. Every other player that's ever done that in the history of the game is a Hall of Famer. So he'll eventually be there. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, But I I look at it this way. The Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, we can talk about the NBA and NHL and NFL Hall of Fames at another point. The MLB Hall of Fame, baseball is all about numbers. And I realize that numbers in different eras are going to mean different things at different times and so on and so forth. The MLB Hall of Fame should be the most rigorous, difficult one to get into because if you think about the history of the game, and I've been to I've been to the Negro League Hall of Fame and I saw some things there that I was just blown away by, it's historical artifacts and uniforms of players that played 75, 80 years ago. You think about how big the game of baseball is and how great it's been for 160 years or what have you. It should be only the best players that ever played they get the opportunity, you know, to go into the Hall of Fame. So it should be the hardest one to get into. It should be, yeah. right. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the part that um, really shocks me. 
But you you got it right, Lou. I mean, they're doing one or two a, a year now. I guess the threshold. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll see some some new new faces that come onto the ballot here in the next two or three years, and I think that'll change a lot. Um, you know, you look at uh, some guys that are just going to fall off quickly. You know, because you know they were, um, you know, either caught up in the the PED era or you know, they just maybe had a bad down half of their career. I look at two guys that I think of right off the top of my head here, Ryan Howard, who spent his entire big league career, at least with the Phillies. He was a Hall of Fame oh, I've never Ryan Howard. Yeah, no, big, 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 uh, big guy. Uh, yeah, big, big guy, great guy from my understanding, too. Um, if you look at his numbers, the first half of his career, and again, I saw a, um, a uh, uh, show on uh, MLB Network here maybe six weeks ago talking about him. Yeah, and I believe Mark Deshera was the other one. Those guys, the first half of their career, they were on a Hall of Fame trajectory, and then nagging injuries and things that you know just were unforeseen. The second half of their career, their numbers just dipped off and tailed off at the end. And unfortunately, both of those guys were off the ballot. I think after the first year. So that's just the thing. It's just really unfortunate. I think Lou got it right, man. That is just uh, that that's the thing about about yeah. about the Hall of Fame. It's just it, the stuff that they're doing. There is no, hey, you you do this, you'll get in, or it's just up and down, and it's a favoritism type thing. And but I got to give crops to one Hall of Famer, and that's Mariano Rivera. For him to gotten inducted unanimously, where these people can't agree on just about anything, I got to give props to him. And I got to give props to Fred McGriff because he got in unanimously. I know it wasn't through the the mass voting, but he got in unanimously. Major props to those two guys. Yes. So, so yeah, Lou, you 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 got a lot probably going on this weekend. What do you what do you got going on? Oh, on absolutely. Show? Well, of course, <laughs> we're going to the the uh, the uh, conference championships. We'll recap the. Uh, divisional round, which uh, I was not surprised by the Phillies uh, being the whipping daylight out of the Giants. I was not surprised at all. Uh, we'll look at the um, NFL award nominees in several different categories. I don't know if I'm going to get through all of them in one night, but I'll do my best. Uh, updates on the NBA and NHL All-Star games, which um, and one of the uh, skills competitions in the NHL sounds absolutely ridiculous. I'll explain that later. Uh, we'll also take care of some um, UFC uh, as well, and WWE, and um, the last of the Australian Open. So, if you got time tomorrow between 4 and 6 Eastern, dial 512-543-4662. Um, don't forget, we're going on Roku now, and also download the Try TV app, that's T-R-I, not Y, uh, T-R-I. Uh, it's only $495 uh Per day, no, no, four dollars ninety five cents a month, uh, you know, and you can and you can watch it on TV now. Although I don't really have the face for TV, but I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Such a role in the face a mother could love. <laughs> you get the idea. So they could see you. Let me get this correct. The for that the amount you mentioned per month, they could see you on TV during the show. Yes, they could, or they might think it's a mugshot from America's Most Wanted. You take, you pick your own choice. <laughs> <on that>. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to go after me anyway. Wow. So there you have it. To make sure you... 53 years old. I find my national television debut. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing radio for 10 years. Well, sports radio for 10 years, but, you know. So... Oh, you can, Eric, I'm glad yeah. you're not allowed to see this. <laughs> you probably say, "What the?" He's probably say, "What are you doing?" Yeah, so now you can see you live oh, in dear. color. So yeah, that's. I actually that's, didn't go into black and white. There you go. <laughs> Why so not? Five, we'll go. We're going old school. Yeah, so it's five one two five four three four six six two. And it's five one two five four three four six six two. Yes, yes. The call number stays the same, so if you can't. If you don't want to watch us, I don't blame you. Uh, you know, you always do the old-fashioned way. So you know, nothing else has really changed. Yeah, same bad channel, same bad place. That's right. Awesome, awesome. So definitely, you know, we're gonna make sure you everybody listens in. To the Enhanced Sports Show, support Lou. Really tremendously appreciate you, Lou. I know you was home for a long time there, so definitely it's much appreciated. And if I survive tomorrow, I'll be back next week. Yeah, you better <laughs> be back next week. We we definitely if need I survive, you. You'll be all right. I, mean, I have like faith it. in you. I mean, life insurance this is over. <sighs> <laughs> Wish me luck tomorrow. I'm going to need it. On that note, yeah. All right. <laughs> Well, Lou, thanks for your time tonight. Um, definitely we'll, okay. uh, we'll promote, of course, uh, people to listen into your show as well. So thank you so much. All right. So that's our great buddy, Lou, there joining us here. We appreciate Lou. So the Enhanced Sports Show, and definitely check him out. And we've got a lot to get through today. We're already having a great show. Let me actually – since we got through the baseball news, let me talk about that, the XFL news. That is something that let me just give the listeners a great opportunity to hear about what happened at my experience at the XFL. You know, XFL has been fantastic this week. I got a chance to meet, if you follow our Facebook page or YouTube channel, got a chance to meet Danny Garcia, the chairwoman and also owner one of the elite owners of the league, and it was phenomenal. You know, she, a lot of people are skeptical, and she answered it perfectly. She went ahead and broke it down and, and said exactly what she felt. And in fact, for all of you XFL people who haven't heard, or let me go ahead and play it real quick. So this is where you get it verbatim from Danny Garcia, the chairwoman. Let me do that for you guys. Radio show. On three occasions, I had people on my show, skeptical people, that XFL was not going to work, and I had to defend it. But I want to get from you, what should I say the next time I have? Oh, I appreciate you defending it. Well, you know what? The um, being skeptical on why something works and doesn't work. First of all, there's nothing wrong with that, right? We've had a number of spring leagues that haven't worked. But the key about the XFL is actually ownership. And when I say ownership, it's not only the understanding that DJ and I have about live events, right, wrestling, and the fact that we're filmmakers. It's also Jerry Cardinal and Redbird Capital, right, because it's about the investment into the league. Uh, I believe a lot of startups 
kind of business model. We said, okay, we're going to go out there, we're going to get all these tickets, and that's going to keep our league afloat and our sponsorship and media deal. But that's not how you build a league. A league takes time. You're going to carry that burden for three, maybe five years. That's okay. That's how you make a decision. That's how we made a decision. We didn't build a league saying, okay, right now we expect this turnover in year one. All we expect is put dynamic play on the field, work with our incredible Disney partners, use our media distribution, create incredible content, bring our fans and build community, and take the time to have longevity. So if you tell them that, they're going to be like, they should be good. (laughs) Yeah, so that's from the chairwoman herself. She's doing big things, and, you know, I'm, I'm impressed. You know, I really do think that this version of the XFL is going to make it. You know, she mentioned she has Dwayne Johnson, DJ. She also has Jerry Cardinal, who is a, a big hitter. He's part of the Yes Network. I did some research on him. I do feel positive that they are going to make it. But just like any business, it's going to take, as she mentioned, three to five years. It's not going to be sold out stadiums right off the bat. She understands that. She has the right mentality that it's going to take time to build it up even if you have great content, even if you have great players. Speaking of the players with the interviews I've done this week, fantastic interviews with, you know, coach, the head coach, Terrell Buckley, wonderful interview. And then also we got the chance to interview another, the defensive coordinator, Tony Carter, and the offensive coordinator, Robert Ford. And the fantastic interviews, they, they basically said that, they feel as if, in most cases, the talent is about the same. There's maybe a couple of positions where it is maybe a little bit weaker in the XFL, but they are working on that. Got a chance to also Kamali Matthews, as well as, you know, we got a chance to interview him. And it was a fantastic interview. And I just think that the, the way the XFL is, is looking out to be, it's going to be a situation where people are going to really enjoy what they're doing. And not only that, I think it's going to be these guys are hungry. They want that opportunity. And I think if you're real hungry and you're going to go for it, you're going to, you're going to end up just keep chipping away and you're going to make things happen. And then um, we also went ahead and, and did another great interview with Terrence Plummer, the second he's from UCF. He's one of the people that is actually one of the original from last time he hung in there for the last two years from the last XFL try and due to COVID, it went down. But props to Terrence and also Kamali, you know, all the the gentlemen I mentioned, I believe in XFL and I think it's gonna work. And I really thank XFL and the Orlando Gardens for giving the Allen and Aaron Sports Radio Show the opportunity to go ahead and cover the gentlemen. It's much appreciated because Hey, you could tell that the fans are responding well to the input that we're getting, giving out here, the content for the XFL. And you could tell by the players they're, you know, they're, they're responding really well to it as well. I I definitely, they see what we're putting up on the Allen and Aaron sports radio show. So it's well received and we're going to keep working hard to make this, this uh, relationship between the Allen and Aaron sports radio show, the XFL, Danny Garcia and ownership, a beautiful partnership. So we're here to help. And I know you guys are too. So that is what I have to say about the XFL press conference, which was 
fantastic. I had a fantastic time. In fact, let me give a round of applause to the XFL. So what are your thoughts now after hearing everything, Aaron, about the XFL? Well, I mean, I'm glad that they're optimistic that it's going to work. I think it would uh, be a bad find if they were like, yeah, you know, it probably will fail again, that kind of thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to keep my, as I mentioned a few weeks back, I'm going to keep my skepticism uh, at the top here for right now because, <laughs> you know, there's that saying, and I'm probably going to goof this up here, but there's that saying, uh, shame on you if you fool me once, but shame on me if you fool me a second time. This is the third of 23 years to have this league. And it hasn't worked yet. So I'm of the mentality at this point where until I see it work, and I hope it does, I'm not rooting against it, but until it has been successful and, and proven to be, that's kind of where I'm going to lean on this. And the same thing with the USFL. You know, I know that's coming up here as well. Those are two leagues that have tried to rival the NFL um, over the last uh, two decades or so. Yeah, well, uh, USFL rather was back in the 80s, so close to 40 years ago. But the XFL has been more of the recent um, attempt. So, you know, we'll see how this plays out. People are hungry for football. I think that's a really good thing. And to have another option to watch is certainly good. But you go back, uh, I believe it was in 2019, and you had the, um, the AAF, which was the Alliance of American Football. And unfortunately, that one didn't last even through an entire season. So um, I think this time around, the one thing that is different, as you just pointed out there, is They've structured it differently. So we'll see if it sustains itself or not. Um, it's not going to be competitive right away. I think we all know that. Um, you're not going to see sold-out stadiums and, and those sorts of things uh, from the very get-go. But you have a big network. I believe it's Fox who's going to be covering a lot of these games. So that's going to be positive right there. It's a big network to be able to, to, be able to have these games on and, and the sponsorships. And those are the things that are going to make this work. You know, it takes money to make this kind of stuff go. So, um you know, hopefully it works. Hopefully it gives people an, another option to watch, uh, you know, professional football and, and something that's competitive and fun to, to watch as well. And, you know, we'll see how things go. So, um, but the, speaking of football, Alan, uh, we're, you know, uh, less than 48 hours from the conference championship games. We've made it this far. Um, we saw all the Florida teams get knocked out. We saw Dallas get out last week. Um, now we're down to the 49ers uh, and the Eagles and the NFC. That'll be a game in Philadelphia on Sunday. And then, of course, the other game is a rematch of last year's AFC title game. That's going to be the Bengals versus the Chiefs. Um, I want to get your take on, first of all, how we got to this point, And then who do you think is going to win these games? Yeah, it's getting down to the nitty-gritty. And it, it didn't surprise me that the Cowboys did falter to the 49ers. You know, one of the big things was – was the play of Dak. You know, you can, just can't turn the ball over, and that's kind of his Achilles heel. I, I definitely do think the Bengals are a team that I feel as if are deserving of this opportunity that they're going to get. To me, they've been one of the – and also the 49ers. I feel as if the 49ers are the, the team to beat as well as the Eagles. The teams now that are playing are, are serious. And these teams are definitely the best four I felt throughout the whole year that have made it this far. And it's going to be a great weekend of football. It's going to be very competitive. 
it's going to come down to one or two mistakes. You know, that's going to be the key to both leagues, both sides. And how we got here is that the teams that are playing the best defense along with not making silly penalties. And that's one of the things I talked to with the defensive coordinator and you cannot make defensive coordinator Tony Carter. You cannot make false starts and you cannot make these kind of like penalties, these 15 yard personal foul penalties right by the sidelines. And you can't have mental lapses. One of the things I did want to mention before we get into the production is that with the Cowboys, I felt as if they were having mental lapses towards the end of the game. And that has to do a lot with the tight end. You know, you can't take things, you can't be kind of lofting towards the, the sideline. You got to have your mind in the game where you're kind of focused on what you're doing. And the team that focuses the most is going to win this, these games this weekend. What are your thoughts? No, I agree with you a hundred percent. And to kind of go kind of where I started there was back to, how we got to this point. Um, first thing I want to say is this. Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they deserve a lot of credit for the season they had, the way they turned things around after getting off to a sloppy start. Um, I feel like that team is kind of where the Chiefs were about five years ago when the Patriots were kind of the upper echelon team and it was hard to get past New England. And then you finally saw the Chiefs get past. They finally won a Super Bowl for the first time in you know 50 years or so. The, the, the Jaguars are kind of where the Chiefs were several years back. I think we're going to see them be really, really competitive for a lot of years to come, which is really nice because I, I like Doug Peterson. He's obviously ha- had a lot of success in the past. He was actually the offensive coordinator in Kansas City before he went to Philadelphia. Goes to Philadelphia, wins the Super Bowl. Doesn't work out. There was some clashes between him and management there. He ends up getting fired. He ends up with a job in Jacksonville. He set up for success, and so are the Jaguars for a long time to come. So I just wanted to throw that out there before going any further. But you're absolutely right. You look at the 49ers and the Cowboys game as a good example. There were some big mistakes. Early in the game, there were some big mistakes made by both teams. But ultimately, the Cowboys made bigger, more costly mistakes, and that was what led to their demise. And a lot of it, too, had to do with the cool play um, of the 49ers, especially in the second half of that game, making – big plays when they needed to. And really, and I think the key to that game was clock management. Yeah. Dallas does not know how to manage the clock to save their lives. I mean, they just played, but they allowed the 49ers to go downfield. I want to say there was 10 and a half, maybe 11 minutes left. And I, I, I looked and watched that game and I said, look, they're going to run the clock down as much as they can. They get it down to three minutes. I think it was an eight minute drive and you knew it was over at that point. So, um, but I, I think especially when you get to this point, you're one game from the Super Bowl. It's going to be the team that plays, as you said, the best defense doesn't allow the biggest plays to happen. Or if they do, they don't get too panicked about it and they come back and make a big play next time around. But also the team that makes the fewest mistakes, turnovers, um, dumb penalties. Now I'll say this because I've seen some really crazy penalties and we've seen that in the last couple of weeks in these playoffs. I'm okay with an over aggressive play. You know, you, you, like, I don't know where some of these penalties on the quarterbacks are coming in. You know, they're, they're really coddling these guys when they're calling uh, roughing the passer when a guy cleanly tackles the quarterback. So if that call gets made on the field, I don't like it. I'm not going to hold my defender accountable for it because, look, that, that's football. And that, that stuff should be allowed to go on. 
It's the mental lapses when you hit a guy out of bounds or you, you know, we saw um, uh, Bosa, the defensive player for the Chargers a couple weeks ago, threw his helmet down on the ground twice, almost got kicked out of the game for arguing with the referee. That's the kind of stuff I, I can't handle. So those are the kind of things that both these um, or all four of these teams that are left need to be preaching. Don't make a stupid penalty that's going to cost us the game. And that should be, you know, kind of the way it goes going forward. But I, I'm going to give my take on these two games. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the road teams in both games to win. I'm going to go with Cincinnati to go in and for the fourth time in a row beat the Chiefs. This will be in Kansas City, of course. And then there's something about this 49er team. You know, they haven't lost the game since October. They've won 11 straight games, including the playoffs. And Brock Purdy, I mean, there's just something about this guy. He just I'm not, I'm not saying he's ever going to lose a game, but he, he's just so poised. And Joe Burrow is kind of the same way, but there's just something about Brock Purdy that I, I – excellent quarterback. I mean, not, who knows what his career is going to hold in the years to come. But it's very clear right now the 49ers have a special player. And he's actually put up – and the, the, their offense has actually been better in the time that he's been the quarterback than it was before he got there. So what are your takes and who do you have winning these games uh, Sunday to go to the Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you with the Bengals. The Bengals, I feel as if, have been steady. And Joe Burrow is just playing with a lot of confidence. It's not cockiness, it's confidence. He's throwing the ball very accurate. And the spiral, man, that he's throwing is like <laughs> perfect. I mean, that, he's just throwing the ball remarkable. Not to mention, he's got great playmakers around him. I, I just, I, I feel with the Mahomes injury, and I know it's unfortunate, but I just feel as if Mahomes even being 90 or 85% is not going to be good enough to go ahead and beat Joe Burrow. I, unfortunately, that's going to be the case. I agree with you. I do think the Bengals are going to do what they do best. And they're going to go ahead and be on the AFC side in the Super Bowl. I just think their team is just all around too many playmakers. And the defense is solid, too. I feel as if they're the better team between the two. You know, having said that, so the Bengals, I agree with you. On the NFC side, I I do think Brock Purdy is doing big things. He is a special player. I do feel as if, in my view, he's earned his spot. This kid is going to be special for many, many years to come. I do see some of Brady-esque in him. He's making the right decisions. He's not forcing anything. He's, he can handle the pocket, the pressure. He's a very good player, and he's going places. However, I just feel as if this game is going to be a little bit too much for him as far as pressure that you're you're in the, now you're in the NFC conference championship that changes things and i just feel as if yes the the 49ers have a very good team Brock Purdy's doing his thing but i just feel as if that pressure of the big spotlight of this game i feel Brock Purdy's going to feel it a bit on top of that i just feel as if the 49ers have a great defense but i just feel that that run Pass run option RPOs that they're going to be doing a lot on the Eagles is hard. It's hard to defend, and I feel like you know they they just have a situation where it's going to be tough for you to to kind of stop Jalen Hurts doing his thing as well as the other playmakers they have on the Eagles. And I feel like because of that dynamic with Jalen Hurts, 
you know, running or passing it. You don't know which one he's going to do. And they have such a great offensive line that I think Nick Bosa is going to be neutralized a bit. I think the Eagles are going to go ahead and beat the 49ers. I think the, the 49ers, great, as great as they are, great team as they are, I think it's going to end. It's going to be the Bengals versus the Eagles in the Super Bowl is my prediction. Okay, okay, gotcha there. So I'm, I'm going to stick with what I said before. I do think it will be a close game uh, between uh, San Fran and Philadelphia here on Sunday. I'm going to go with a field goal late in the game separates, makes a difference. Um, some things that I really would point out, though, that kind of back where my prediction comes in on this is the streak, of course. The fact that you've played some really good teams to get to this point. And Brock Purdy seems like he gets better with each game that he plays. But I think the X factor um, for me is Christian McCaffrey. You take him away from this 49er offense, and it's like taking, you know, a a, a part out of a car. It's not going to work right. Um, so if you take him away, then first of all, the 49ers probably are not in this position. He has made this offense so much better and so much more dynamic. It's not just a pass happy, you know, pass first offense. Now they have this special weapon that comes out of the backfield. And here's the funny thing about it too. We've known Christian McCaffrey was going to be a good player for a long time. And for most of his time in Carolina, at least the last couple of years, he's been injured. You know, he hasn't been able to be his real self. So now that he's able to be healthy and be a part of that 49er offense, that's where I feel like the big thing is, is going to help them out. And, you know, getting the ball to George Kittle, too, is going to be huge as well. That really was what paid dividends against Dallas here in this past week's game. So um, I'm going to stick with my prediction of the 49ers. I'm going to say um, 20 to 17 will be the final score with the 49ers kicking a field goal late. And then I feel like, and you, you pointed this out very well there, I feel like it'd be a much more even matchup. I still give the Bengals a slight advantage because they played so well against the Chiefs. They're the one team that seems to figure the Chiefs out in the last couple of years. If uh, Patrick Mahomes was 100% healthy. But we saw he, they, they were fairly fortunate that maybe the Jaguars made some kind of rookie mistakes in this game this past week. Um, Mahomes. I mean, he couldn't plant and throw off his back foot, the foot that he injured. So I think if the Bengals can find a way to exploit that, keep him in the pocket and not let him move around, especially not let him move um, you know, forward past the line of scrimmage, he's going to have a really, really tough time on Sunday. And that, that ankle, most guys aren't playing with that injury. In fact, he probably wouldn't be playing himself if this was just a regular season game in week two or three. They'd probably let him sit out for a while, but this is a game to get to the to the Super Bowl. So I really feel like the Bengals have clear advantage here, even though this is a game that's going to be on the road for them. I think that the Bengals are going to – I think they're going to win. I'm going to go with a final score of 33-14. to 14. Wow, that's, that's a pretty big uh, spread. I don't know yeah. if it'll be that big. But I, I do believe that the Bengals are going to win by, I would say, at least 10 points. And I just feel I think that the Bengals are going to force – I think Mahomes is going to force some stuff to try to try to make some things happen, and I think he's going to make some mistakes. And I think some of those mistakes could be pick sixes, unfortunately. Um, now, I will say this. Out of all the teams that are in the playoffs right now, 
the one team that I will say probably has the best backup quarterback is Kansas City. Chad Henney held them together in this last uh, last playoff game. So I think that if something happened and Mahomes had to come out, they'd probably actually be in pretty good shape. Uh, but I'm going to stick with my prediction of 33-14. to 14. Yeah, Chad Henney. And if Chad Henney would have made a mistake, maybe two, but at least if he made at least one, I feel as if the Jags win that game. You know, yeah. especially when they were backed up in the, you know by the two or three yard line. But to Chad Henney's credit, he played underneath with poise. I, you know, I love what they're doing there at the Chiefs, but I just feel as if all around the the Bengals are the better team. And with the Eagles and the, it's not going to be just all on Brock Purdy as far as the reason why I feel that the Eagles are going to win. I just feel as if collectively their style of play, the Eagles, is going to be a bit, you know, Chris McCaffrey and George Kittle, those guys are ballers. They're they're great. And also Brock Purdy has done his thing, but I just feel as if the way the Eagles play their game and their defense and their offense, I just feel as if it's going to be tough for the 49ers to contain them enough for them to win the game. I just feel as if it's going to be a close game. But I think Jalen Hurts is going to shine through. He's going to be more healthy this time around. You know, I know he didn't run much the last couple of games, but I feel as if this game, he's going to let it all out there. And it's just going to be a bit too much to handle. And I think I think the Eagles are going to are going to win. All right. So we'll uh, we'll obviously be talking about a recap of this uh, next Friday on our show. And wanted to also talk a little bit more um not necessarily on the field football news, but off the field news. We've seen first a big hire of a head coach um, here so far this offseason. I think there were four uh, openings before Carolina went with uh, Frank Reich, who had, of course, uh, been with the Colts for the last several years. He is the new head coach in Carolina. Um, I think it's a great hire. I think that the Panthers, I think what they were looking for, as opposed to what they'd had previously, is someone who had an NFL pedigree. Frank Reich, of course, played for um, 30 years ago, played, uh, was a huge part of the uh, Buffalo Bills. He was the backup quarterback who came in and led the Bills back against the uh, Houston Oilers um, in the playoff game uh, 1992, I want to say, is the year it was. Um, he's been in the league for a long time. He was a offensive coordinator uh, several years back. Um, unfortunately, it didn't quite work out with some of the changes that took place in Indianapolis over the last several years. Um, but I think when you look at Carolina, they've got good pieces there. I think they're they're one or two big pieces away from being really a team to go chase down in that NFC South. Um, I think they wanted him because he knows how to read quarterbacks. They've got three or four guys there in Carolina. They want to figure out who their future leader is. So congrats to Frank Reich. Uh, what are your thoughts on him taking the job here in Carolina? I was, I was a bit surprised. You know, I'm not going to, you know, sugarcoat that I was a bit surprised that Frank Wright got the Carolina Panthers job just because you know I I really like Frank Wright I think he's a nice guy I even watched the Buffalo Bills documentary Frank Wright was in that and he played great against the Oilers to bring him back he has as a player been doing great things but I just I'm just not sold on Frank Wright as a head coach I think he's a nice guy and everything but he he just doesn't get you you know, he doesn't get the team to the next level. And it's been shown, I think, that the Carolina Panthers, 
were doing great things with Steve Wilkes, and he was the interim coach. I would have at least given him an opportunity to see if we're going to do a full season. It seemed, the team seemed to do a lot better with Steve Wilkes. I would have continued to kind of went that that path because he's already has a you know he's already the interim coach. I I I personally did not like the hire of Frank Wright. I I believe what they were saying is that he brought Frank Wright in because they're going to get another quarterback and make some changes, other changes, but. I just not sold on Frank Wright as a head coach. I think he's done a lot of great things in in football and career. I I personally think they slided Steve Wilkes. You know, I think this is a situation where you think the grass is green on the side because you have a bigger name, Frank Wright. But I just think it's going to be it's going to be the same Carolina Panthers, but even worse. I, I I'm not a big fan of his hire at all. Okay, okay, fair enough. There now his former team, the Colts. Uh, when they dismissed uh, Frank Reich uh, back in, I believe it was October, um, he was actually the first, uh, I believe, first coach dismissed during this past season. Uh, they have an opening now. They went with Jeff Saturday as their interim coach. And there's a number of names that are popping up there in, uh, in Indianapolis. And the hottest name out there right now is 49er defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans. Um, reports this week that he already interviewed with two of the four um, teams that have a vacancy right now, we're not exactly sure who those are. That hasn't been reported exactly yet. But who do you, uh, who, who would you like to see um, Indianapolis bring in? And we'll go down the list of the other teams that are out there as well. You know that that's a great question. I, I would like, you know, I feel as if the person that should get that job should be a coach that should have a little bit more experience. Because you, you have Jeff Saturday there. If you're going to replace him, I feel as if you've got to bring in somebody who's got more experience. I, I would like to see if – I know D'Amico Ryans is up there to try to get a job. But I would like to see D'Amico Ryans in another situation in, in Indianapolis. I would prefer him to get a team that is kind of like going through a little bit of turmoil. The Colts, I feel, because you've got so much going on. and I see. I say, why don't you give Steve Wilkes a try and see what he can do? You know, D'Amico Ryan's. I think he's going to get an opportunity, but I would like him to get a team that's not the Colts situation. I feel like when you're coming into the league, you kind of want a little bit more stability. And I know he's going to be blamed for the fact that there was a situation where you had an interim coach, and let's say he does a mediocre job, he can be find himself out of a job. When you get an opportunity, you kind of want to hope that you get an opportunity that's going to work well for you and be a great situation. situation. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yes, it's great to get an opportunity, and I'm not hating on that, but sometimes you got to look at the opportunity and see if it's a good fit for you. What do you think about that, Aaron? I think that's always a a good point there. Um, You know, we can look at this from a baseball or a football perspective. There are certain coaches – and this is not taking anything away from their coaching ability, but there are certain coaches or managers out there that are going to be better in situations where things are already sort of set up for them versus, you know, a coach. Like, I, uh, I'm not taking anything away from what Bill Belichick has done in the 20-plus years he's been at, uh, at uh, New England, but you couldn't put him in Houston right now and actually think that he's going to win because they, right. don't have, they, they don't have the infrastructure – and the, the roster 
they would fit what he would need. It would take him five years to put that together. And Bill Belichick is 72 years old. He doesn't have five years to coach in this league. So that, that would never happen. Um, so I think it is very important. You, you don't want to go into a situation. You, you think about this. You, you go out and take a job somewhere. The first thing you ask yourself in that job, you know, after you figure out how much you're getting paid and that kind of thing is, am I setting myself up to be here for a long time? Or am I going to be looking for another job in a year? It's no different in these situations. So I agree with you there. I think some of the, the things that have happened in Indianapolis, I think you have an owner that's a little bit more vocal and a little more hands-on. Nothing wrong with that. He's just a different guy. I think an experienced coach, maybe somebody who worked out in another position um, as a head coach somewhere else, might be a good fit there. Somebody who kind of has that experience of knowing what the expectations are rather than coming in and learning them after the fact. You want to know them ahead of time. And usually an experienced coach is going to have that. Now, D'Amico Ryans, who I think is one of the best up-and-coming coordinators, I think he's a perfect fit in Houston. Either Houston or uh, uh, Arizona, one of those two places I think is a great fit for him. I would stay away as a rookie head coach from Denver because look what happened this past year. You bring in uh, another up-and-coming coordinator in Nathaniel Hackett, by all means, with the offensive weapons that they were supposed to have in Denver this past year, they should have at least won 10 games, right? And they win four and what, four and 13. So I would say that, that's, that's a dumpster fire job, in my opinion, for a rookie coach. Now, maybe a, a more veteran guy. So I would say the two teams that match very similarly in this coaching cycle, both Indianapolis and Denver need experienced coach. You could go either yeah. way with Arizona and, and Houston. Now, the one name that's out there that I think is going to get some, some traction, and we, we've heard about this for probably two weeks now, is Sean Payton. And I think the only job that I think makes, in my opinion, makes sense for him at this point is Denver. I don't, think I, I don't think I see him going to Indianapolis. I think Denver is probably the right fit because here is a guy. It's a very similar situation to when Bruce Arians took over in Tampa uh, five years ago. You brought him in. He had a young quarterback in Jameis Winston didn't work out he, he was able to snuff that out in the first year well not everybody's going to be able to bring in a Tom Brady type quarterback but you bring in a veteran who's won a Super Bowl Denver already has that you know in uh, in Russell Wilson so to me of these four jobs that are out there right now Sean Payton the only one that makes sense for, for me to take would be the one in Denver because you already have most of the pieces there so we'll see what happens I'm not sure who some of the other names are that are floating around um, but I do believe that We'll know probably in the next uh, 10 days pretty much all these jobs will be filled up. Yeah, and I agree. I think D'Amico Ryans, he should look at the Cardinals job. I think he'll be a great fit there. I think what will end up happening is he'll be a good fit because he'll work well with Kyler Murray. If they do decide to keep D-Hop, I think he will get along well with him too. I think they'll both respect him. you got to look at the good fit. But I think, Sean Payton, I agree with you. I, I, there's not too many, even though he's a very good coach, there's not too many situations he can just walk into. He's just a very specific type of situation that will work great for him. And I think that's going to be the key. I think he would fit really well in Denver. And he's a guy that Russell Wilson will listen and respect. And that's the big thing. Your quarterback got to may not like you, but they got to at least respect you and buy into your system and what what type of way you want the offense ran and what type of team you want. So I agree with you on that. 
I did want to get your take, Aaron, on something, though, that since you were out, what do you feel, in your opinion, Tom Brady should do at this juncture? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this this is, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterback uh, at an all-time high here. Well, I mean, let's let's be honest here, and I, I blame you a little bit for this, Alan. He should have retired last year, and if he retired, <laughs> things would be a lot different. It'd be a lot harder for the Buccaneers to have had any success this year because, look, the, the only reason they were anywhere remotely successful this season is because they had Brady as a weapon and some of the offensive weapons they had. This is a terrible year for Buccaneer football. Um, probably the worst situation for them to actually have made the playoffs. What he should do, you know, I'm not sure. It's a tough thing because, you know, now everything that was close to him is gone. Um, I don't think his skills are getting any sharper. In fact, I think he he actually regressed, even though his numbers were fairly decent this year, I think he regressed quite a bit. Can't throw the deep ball like he used to, for sure. Um, And look, he's in great health, as as far as we know. We can tell he's physically in great shape. But I, I, I think at this point, count your blessings while you still have them. You're, you're 45 or 46 years old, and you've got a contract on the table with Fox for $375 million over 10 years to be an analyst. People are going to love you when you go and become an analyst. Every stadium you go to to call a game, you know he's going to be there early. He's going to be out there on the field throwing the football around, talking to the quarterback of both teams, you know, shooting the breeze with the fans that are there early, talking to the referees, talking to the coaches. So I think the writing is on the wall that – what we saw this past year is a good indication. Hey, go out while you can. Now, the other side of this story is there's a handful of teams out there that would probably pay you a big dollar to come play for you, uh, play for them. But um, ultimately, I think, I think first of all, he needs to take some time. I think that the big mistake he made last year was he made a knee-jerk reaction at the end of the season. He made it with emotions. One thing I was taught as a young kid, Big decisions you cannot make with emotion. you, you got to have sound reason before you make a decision. And I think that was Tom Brady's biggest blunder a year or so ago was when he retired a day or two after that playoff game against the Rams and then, you know, walked it back after reading a, a tweet that you'd put out there, walking it back about a month later. So um, I want to get your take, though, Alan. What do you think he should do? Yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of great things you said there. I just feel as if, hey, I get it that you're physically okay to play. And I kind of feel responsible a bit because I did say he should come back for another year. However, I also did say only come back if you have your family's blessing to come back. Obviously, he did not have everybody's blessing to come back. I know that she, his wife said in the beginning she was standing behind him, but that was just kind of like PR move. She really wasn't cool with it at all as time went on which i had no idea about that and you know it's like this if tom brady wants to play and he has a desire to play and he's willing to eat crow for another season and put himself through it i can't really stop a man and say you shouldn't do it meaning he's going to get a lot of these bad records he already had first time losing season he also had didn't have any points for the halftime in the last game for the first time since his rookie year. And he came back and won that game, but he's going to have more of that and even worse. He's going to have more players come up to him. 
for the first time ever intercepting Tom Brady for an autograph. You understand? That happened a couple times this year. He's going to get a lot more. He's going to have to eat a lot more crow, basically, if he decides to come back. He's going to have a lot more bad records attached to his name, and his legacy is going to take more of a hit. Because as you mentioned, to your point, the team really suffered a lot because he couldn't throw the deep ball. You can't just nickel and dime and win championships that way. You have to throw the ball down the field to keep the defense honest. He's going to get a lot of, you know, his legacy is going to take another huge hit. And believe it or not, if he does come back another year, I believe, number one, he's not coming back for the Bucks, And number two, if he does play for another team, I don't even feel as if he's going to end the year as the starter on that team. I feel as if it's going to go that poorly where they might bench him for another player. And he's really going to have to eat some crow. And it's going to be very, it's not going to end well for him. If he comes back for another year, he might get paid. You know what I'm saying? He'll, he'll get some more stats, you know, just by passing and stuff like that. But it's going to be a long, if he thought this season was long, which I know he did, it's going to be three times long if he comes back. He needs to really consider that. And like to your point, you got a big contract right there in the wings. Don't get hurt. He obviously is flinching now. He doesn't want to get hit big. If it's my recommendation, I would say take your $300 plus million deal, retire with grace. That's my opinion. That's what I think. I offer that to him. But ultimately, it's, it's Tom Brady's decision. I'll respect it either way. Good take. I, yeah, and I agree, too. I think if he does come back, it's uh, definitely not going to be Tampa. I think that's uh, pretty much already been assured here with some of the things we've heard uh, or some of the things he's he's kind of indicated here over the last uh, week or so. Um, so, well, good stuff here tonight. Uh, definitely want to, again, thank uh, our great sponsor, Chef G's Florida Barbecue Sauce, so delicious and addicting. You may need a support group. want to thank again from MLBTradeRumors.com, our excellent guest here tonight, Dara McDonald, who gave us some great insight and um, will continue to do so in the future. And hopefully we can get him back on here when we get into – the uh, the hot stove months of uh, August, uh, sorry, July coming up here this summer, as we get closer to the trade deadline, maybe we can get some inside news uh, before some moves get made. That'll be kind of cool. So, um, also uh, uh, our good buddy Lou for giving us a call here tonight. Hadn't heard from him, at least I haven't heard from him personally in a couple weeks since I've been out of the show. But great to be back here again tonight. Uh, we'll do it again here, same time, same great place as we get into the month of February. And we get closer to the Super Bowl. We get closer to pitchers and catchers reporting for baseball. We're one step closer to March Madness. And uh, also, Alan, uh, I'm not sure if we had thought to mention this or not, but we're coming up on Speed Weeks here in Daytona, which uh, will be a part of that. So uh, that'll be a lot of fun as well. So uh, for, uh, for Alan, this is Aaron signing off. Have a great week, everybody.
Thank you.